Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Gaines, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name's Ed Mann, and today we are joined again, uh, probably about another year in the making, with my good friend Jason Marden. How you doing, Jay? Hey, everyone. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good, 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 man. How's life treating you? It's been like a year since we last had you on, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's been quite a while, and a lot's happened with my development, we could say. Oh, development <laughs> of your development. I like of it. Of my development, I, I yeah. Like it, yeah. Obviously, we, we, well, the audience won't know, but I will know because I was present and you were present. Uh, we went to a good friend's uh, wedding um, a couple, about a month ago, and we just started geeking out again, talking about like Amazon Web Services and just anything that came to mind. And we were like, we really need to do another podcast. Uh, so I was like, I find I'm going to pest you again and again and again, and finally we're on. And it's like eight o'clock on a Monday evening. You've just got in from work. So yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time, dude. I know that it's not the, it hasn't been the easiest of days. Travel today for you has not been the easiest. I mean, I'm, I'm super awake right now. You can probably tell. Um, <laughs> and if you negate that, that's exactly what he is. He's super not awake. <laughs> and uh, not been brilliant. <laughs> oh, man. But I, I'm, I'm just trying to think where to actually start if there is any logical order. Uh, I guess like the first thing actually maybe is probably quite topical is that it was last week you went to the AWS summit? Uh, no, that was, what was that, about two weeks ago, I think? How, how'd that go, man? Yeah, it was good. It was, uh, it was the first summit or conference, you could say, that I've been to. Well, why is it called a summit? Is it just a posh way of saying, is it, does it make it sound um, better? Than sounds a, a bit conference? superficial, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's just Amazon trying to make themselves seem bigger, I think. It's, but they can't. It's not, it's not a conference, it's a summit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the first one I went to, and I even survived the keynote. Ah, what was kind of hot on the radar this this year? Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there was anything particularly new, but I would just say that the emphasis on well, you could probably say containers was mentioned quite a lot. And um, there, if you know it or don't know it, uh, ECS uh, service, which is just uh, I think it's called Elastic Container Service. I think that's what it's called. All right, is that is that running on like a Docker platform or is that their own kind yeah. of? The uh, yeah Docker workers. Um, I'll give you an example because we we actually use this where I work, and um, we it's what Amazon recommend as well. We do database, uh, sorry, DynamoDB replication, um, and essentially we have lots of containers that help with copying the data um, and syncing the um, data from one region to another. So we've we've actually used. We've actually used this before, but there's a lot more potential. Um, you can use it for a lot more things. All right, that's really interesting. Because, I mean, one of the things actually that you were mentioning uh, was just this idea of the serverless architecture. Really, that sounds very, very cool. Uh, you know, the idea of, you know, we don't care about servers anymore and all this. And I mean, doing some Wikipedia and some Googling on that and like the ideas around it, you know, to do with like one of the big ones was Lambda that I think came out last year. And that really has kind of spun it off. This idea that really it's kind of like functions as a service. You don't think about a server at all. Just think of bit of functionality that then you can, you know, you give to a third party to deal with. It can be event triggered or something like that. And it just gets away from that whole traditional architecture that you have to run a whole server stack to deal with something. 
it's just a stateless container that you then you do something with it you know you, you have a function you have input you have output that's it and you can scale it as and, as and when you need and you just don't care it's agnostic on you don't really care what's actually running it you just care about what the code is and the, the actual domain logic that you want to actually run yeah it's brilliant i mean with lambda as well you can you can have a java uh, you can code it with java you can code it with python I'll tell you what, every, pretty much every demo I saw had something to do with Node. And <laughs> I don't really know Node too much myself, but it's obviously a big player. And um, the Amazon guys love it because they, literally every example was Node.js pretty much. But yeah, like you're saying with the Lambda, Lambda is cool. Um, we use it at my place as well. Uh, we use it for the event-driven sorry, model where you um, basically pull from an SQS queue and then you push to another one. So you, you say transform the data, and then you push it to another queue, and then you have another function which then manipulates the data further. So it's a really interesting model, that, isn't it? Because it's very much like, you, so you're separating these responsibilities um, into simple you know, little functions, essentially, that you, know, you have your input and you have your output. And then you can kind of think of them like the Unix philosophy of piping things. You've got something, you pipe it to that, you pipe it to that, and you can scale up, I'm guessing, different bits like oh this is taking a bit more yes. time we can scale that out and we can scale that up and you don't again you're not caring about the servers that it, it's running on it's really just about the data you have and the actions that you want to perform on it it's a very nice level like a abstraction level to be on and i'm just wondering kind of like is this this uh, elastic container stuff very similar to the lambda stuff is it are they going to are they trying to make it that docker you know like this idea that you can have docker stuff uh, running similar in a similar vein to what lambda cuz lambdas can do yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of similar. Uh, obviously, the container service is Docker, um, Docker based, um, but it's still in in a sense it's not such serverless. But the idea is that you can have multiple containers on a server, but you don't have to worry about where those container containers go, and you don't have to worry about how they communicate with each other because Amazon does that all for you, and based on um, say how much memory you give the Docker container, or or how much space it will work out how um, how many servers you need for your containers, and whether you need one server or two servers, and basically it does the allocation of the containers for you. I remember at the conference, the guys that so the best thing about AWS the summit I found was the case studies. The case studies were brilliant, but yeah, uh, with the Container service, they are using lots of different uh, third-party tools as well for management of the containers because I think there's still some features that Amazon need to add. But as it stands today, it's still it's still pretty good. And it's uh, really easy to set up as well, really easy to set up a Docker container in, in Amazon. So what's the idea then? That, I know that company behind Docker have provided a Docker platform, you know, in the cloud platform as well. So is this kind of rivaling that? Is that the idea from Amazon that they're going to, again, it'll be uh, specific, it'll be uh, compatible with Docker, you know, and everything like that, but it is just their own implementation of it? No, not at all, really. I would say I, I believe the Amazon guys were saying that they worked with the Docker people and the developers in order to make the ECS container service as good as it could be. So it's not it's not a rivalry. It's it's like um, the collaboration. You have many platforms where you can you know create Docker containers and such, but uh, Amazon's a really good alternative. Um, but yeah, it goes on to the sort of the serverless 
close to being serverless architecture, but mainly to do microservices. So obviously the idea was with the containers is that they have that you can separate applications based on you know segregate the environment, which is the best thing about Docker really. Yeah, you do need you do kind of need a good scenario for it. I think like I think really Lambda is probably one of the better services to be fair. And uh, I'll tell you a really good case study that I heard is that there was a a guy and his team who developed for uh, David Getter, which is cool in itself, for the Euro song. They basically had a website which you could submit your own recordings of the song and then it would give you an album cover based on your nationality. So really simple application, but the whole thing was serverless, lambdas only. So essentially, um, one thing it would do is it would work out your language based on your locale and where you are and your geolocation. That would be one lambda that fires off, returns a value. There was a lambda uh, for getting the images uh, from S3 uh, for the uh, album cover that it produces. So again, purely lambda. And then um, the functionality for... Uh, recording the video and uploading it was again Lambda. So everything was Lambda, uh, which meant it was cheaper for them, less service to manage, environment you don't need to worry about, it's just a function. And uh, one good thing with Lambda is to mention is the first million requests are free. See, now that is quite a good sell, isn't it? Like the ability to be able to like at least try it out, you know, because I think something like that, I mean, the interesting thing, and I, I suppose... Um, like kind of going back a little bit with this whole idea of Lambda because that really has kind of sprung on a quite a lot kind of like the wave of serverless architecture and things is that you know you're not really getting rid of a server because you can't get rid of a server you are essentially you're giving it to someone else to deal with so you are just dealing with an abstraction on top of all these so there's a couple of abstractions and you essentially are dealing with the the most the easiest abstraction to deal with a function because you've got your parameter inputs you do some work and you give an output and and that's it and and really you know we we break up our programs into these solutions you know into these little functions into you know oo we may do oo concepts and things like that but essentially we just come out into some functions that we do some methods or anything and this is really separating those into splitting those up into those simple bits and then being like okay well we can now scale these at you know as we want and it's interesting as you're saying with that david getter example that the way that they thought about the problem probably changed completely with the fact that they could use something like lambda like it really does kind of i'm sure make you design things in a certain way that can scale more that are more distributed that don't rely so much on things because you're not thinking you know essentially you're just worrying about one thing at one time in single and you know like the single responsibility principle as well must be a massive thing with that and (laughs) i'm just wondering like are there things that you use like i've noticed there's like projects called like serverless um, and it's like a project that kind of yes yeah that yeah, wraps that yeah like wraps you know this kind of concepts and like allows you to easily test these things and I'm just wondering like at your work how you mentioned like your use case for it but like how do you go about building these lambdas and designing for, with lambda and in mind okay yeah so as as I mentioned so I'll, t- I'll take the case of of what I was saying with the SQSQ uh, an event driven model so what. The actual function we use Lambda for is um, for scraping content from websites. So we have a, you could say, an SQS queue, which is basically your URLs. So the URLs you need to scrape will come into a queue. Uh, We will then process those from the queue. So that queue is pretty much generated always the same. It never changes. 
but it provides a good input for for the lambda. And then we have again we use so we use Java. Uh, we scrape it, and then you know that that's one function scraping it. That's one responsibility, one simple thing that you can do. And as you say, like it's it's essentially. I mean, it's not very, not exactly referentially transparent because you're doing a side effect of going out into the world to find some data. But yeah. in the fact that I have an input, I want an output. That's it, done. You know, and you've now got something yeah. from what you you know you've you've essentially transformed that URL into a URL representation, a web page. Yeah, essentially, what we wanted to do was take a URL and um, transform that into a object of scraper result, for example. But then we didn't want to, you know, just, you know, we want a single responsibility. So again, that would get put onto another queue. The queue would get read again, and then uh, the saving of it would happen. So we have one function just for saving. But again, the brilliant thing with Lambda, as you've mentioned, is auto-scaling. Amazon take care of that for you. Based on the number of requests, uh, well, so essentially with Lambda, uh, one request is, say, one thread, for example. So you, you get uh, one-to-one, but it will, it will handle this for you. Whereas if you have to do this the, you know, the server way, you'd have to um, do multi-threading, hmm. which you know, can be a pain. Yeah, well, this is it, isn't it? Exactly. You can deal with it at that abstraction level of just, I want to do that, and it handles the parallelism, the concurrency, whatever it needs to do, uh, you know, in itself. Um, yeah. One thing that is interesting with this kind of idea, though, is the fact that I'm guessing these types of services can't be stateful at all. They're a one and done almost thing where you've got the input. The only thing you know about is the input. And then you have output, and once that's done, it's gone. You can't build up results over time and things like that. It's it is step up, tear down. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like you say, input, output. Uh, so you can't do everything with lambdas, uh, like they said in the conference during the summit. But there is a ton of things you can do with lambdas, uh, which will, you know, it, it basically simplifies your infrastructure as well. And and how do you do like logging and things like that? Like how how do you monitor these types of things? Oh, okay. So lambda. Okay, I will not say it's perfect uh, lambda logging, but basically you have CloudWatch. Um, and is that Cloud... that's another Amazon uh, another service. Amazon service? Yeah, there's too many, too many. Too many. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do something at the end. I'm gonna sign make you name every Amazon web service that you oh, know. Oh God, I, I, yeah, I could try. <laughs> I could try. They keep introducing them for fun, and uh, obviously if you use or again, this is more Java, really. But if you use like Log4j that, and, and that sort of thing, and in fact, I think Log4j is the only one supported. Unfortunately, not Logback is not supported. Yeah, so it, you could do your standard loggers, info, error, you know, all that. Um, and it will just log it to Lambda logs. And also, it will give you information on memory usage, time executed, so you can really see exactly. And also monitoring, also I mentioned is brilliant as well. Because you could see exactly how many have been spun up. You know, you can see details on your capacity and how many times it's been executed over a certain time. So it, you could really, you know, go quite granularly into the metrics. So you don't deal with the stack. You don't deal with, you know, I suppose with, say, like something like Java or Node or any of these languages, you're saying, all right, I've got Java 7 or Java 8. But having packages and, and certain specific environment runtimes, like are you, you, I suppose you're limited in regard to just what Lambda can give you. Or are you allowed to set up an environment yourself, like having these things already? I suppose, what, what type of environment is Lambda? Is it, is it merely just you provide it a class? 
or do you provide it a definition with what you require and things like that? So yeah, I mean, if you're using uh, Python, obviously it's a def- you can have a definition. But if you're using Java and it does support Java eight, I mentioned, which is brilliant. Yeah, with Java, you essentially you create a well, you can you can either override or sorry, implement uh, their interface. Or you can provide it a um, a method, and that method um, you basically in the UI you essentially just tell it this is the method that my this lambda. Is, this is the main yeah. that starts it off. And how do you like deal with like dependencies? Like, do you can you use things like Maven with it? Like, how do you build up the dependencies and include dependencies in things like lambdas? Okay, so but essentially, what you get there's um, things to help you build it as well. But essentially, you build just a, a zip essentially, just a, a zip archive uh, containing your dependencies, your uh, classes, uh, obviously compiled. And you can, if you've got property files, which most applications do, um, or, or just standard property files, so you can keep that contained inside the archive, which is, is fine. So uh, that's one way to go. Some people would say that better. that's better because then you've got it at the time. Or you can get it from S3, for example. So you can do it at you can have dynamically included at you know like so you'd you'd say you deploy a a version of something like uh you know like you'd have a version you know that you want to use and do in, like run some tests on exactly uh, and then you'd have like a different file like this is it we're in testing environment now here's the credentials for testing and you'd use yes. those and then you could use the exact same build for production just with different properties exactly it depends it depends how you want it um one thing you did mention is versions. So you do get versions um, in Lambda, and you can clearly see um, what version you've got deployed as such, and you've got history, which is good. Um, so that's um, really useful. And yeah, like you say, with the whole environment thing is interesting because it depends how you do it, really. Uh, obviously, you can do it, like I mentioned, through S3, and you can provide some sort of um, flag or, or something to tell it as test or prod. But uh, at its simplest, we all, well, what we do is we have a test lambda and a prod lambda, and the archive we build either a test one or a prod one. And what? So what are the different? Are they? Is it just feature flags like different flags for things that will happen in tests that don't happen in production? And it's it's primarily you know where it connects to. Okay. So if you're connecting, say Dynamo uh, DB, you'll have a different obviously string depending on if it's test or prod in the YAML file uh, or maybe it's something to do with passwords like you say and usernames and, and, and that sort of thing so there is a difference but yeah we basically build the archive with the environment that is intended for. And how, how do you do your testing like is there a strict like unit test approach you're able or do you are you required to set up and how because I noticed with that serverless mm. that you can do local testing which is really interesting with these with the lambdas but like it, obviously, yeah. I mean obviously it may be easier to then just have an Amazon like just setting up Amazon and having lambdas up there to be able to deal with yeah um so with that again um, we do have a lambda for testing and we mainly do integration testing on that front so with Lambda, you can't really sort of, for testing, spin it up. I th- you might be able to. We, we don't. Uh, but what we do spin up is the SQSQs and such. So our SQSQs are generated for testing and torn down. Um, and essentially, it's really as simple as we put something in a queue. The you know integration test-wise does that work. Um, and then we check the output of the app queue. I mean, at least that way you know that um, you've, got, you've got it set up correctly. Mm. 
and with the REPL loop of kind of like developing these, you're doing it where you you essentially upload it to Amazon, test it up there. Yeah, you well, you can obviously when we test it integration test wise, that is local. You test it locally with your integration test, and so that's mocking everything up, setting everything up, and then um, not necessarily not mocking, but tearing um setting up and tearing down real keys based on a on a lambda that's always there essentially okay. about only for testing uh, it's just called an integration test that will that's the way we so we prefix our lambdas with prod test or integration test and yeah so you test it locally integration test wise you can mock it of course but with mocking there's always yeah there's always things that can go wrong with mocking <laughs> it depends um, on, yeah how complex and how you've designed yeah the lambda depends to the extent you mock it and you're not really testing the environment all the time sometimes when you're not when you're mocking so it's nice to just do it with real keys and then check the input output essentially uh which is you know pretty simple and then after that and you're happy with your lambda uh you upload it um and also the ui allows you has a testing facility as well so you can give it um, let's say fake JSON, and it will execute the lambda, and it will tell you if it was successful or not. Ah, that's cool. Yeah, so you're able then to do that. So you're able to test on without any like. Yes. Do, yeah, that's brilliant. And I mean, that's interesting. Actually, you mentioned that because obviously my my kind of feeling is like, are you tied too much then into this lambda concept? You know, what as if what you know down the road or when you want to design it, you, you don't really want to think of lambda in mind. You, you like the idea of these functions as services. Yes. But you don't just want lambda, and actually thinking about it now, you you really can you can do the typical uh, architectural design of you know your input being AWS mm-hmm. lambda, but you convert it into a d- domain specific kind of thing, and then you know when you're in this domain, you're able to handle it in the way you want to handle it. It doesn't matter that it's come from a queue, what it's come from, you can handle it internally, and then you return what you want, and then obviously you can then in turn you know go off it back into lambda land so you know yeah. i think you can internally then you can design however the way you want it to be yeah i would say you can't lambda fight the world although it would be nice but um yeah with uh with lambda again like i say you you can use it for some things you, you can't use it for everything it depends on the complexity of your application but um for certain parts of your application it's useful like I will give you an example of something I've been playing with recently in my quest to develop a mobile application, part 5,000. <laughs> get there eventually. But yeah, I've been playing around with API Gateway, uh, which is great. Um, it's essentially Amazon's answer to APIs. So you you set up, um, you know, your get posts, all that sort of um, APIs inside of Amazon's API Gateway. Uh, but the execution or the work, the, uh, the API is done with Lambda. So you send, as a user, you send a request to log in, and then say I've got, obviously it's not going to happen for a while, but say I've got lots of users, I've got to handle all these requests for logging in. Uh, but with, you know, with API Gateway, you know, the request is sent straight to the Lambda, and then based on the auto-scaling, it will handle that for me, which is, is great. And, yeah, essentially you can build a whole API in Amazon uh, just using Lambdas. So that is an insane, yeah, idea to actually. So essentially, it is it's tying them all together. This API gateway then allows you to tie all these lambdas together. Yes. Wow, yeah, that that it, is pretty cool. Gives it real purpose, you could mm. say. Because there's um also what we haven't mentioned. Obviously, I've mentioned SQS keys being one input, but there's also um so I'll give you an example. Um, cron jobs. You either love them or you hate them. Oh yes, got to have them scheduled tasks. Essentially, you can use Lambda as a scheduled task. It it can it can do the work for you like a cron job would. So, you, what you would then invoke 
like a trigger an event on that lambda on schedule yeah on schedule and then it would do the work there asynchronously and then do it yeah do an event see that that is another exactly. great idea yeah and you know it means i mean i'm not saying you're gonna have a server for just cron jobs but if you did you know don't really need that now you've got something like this available and are you finding that um you're you're kind of thinking lambda first in some regard to some things function service first like looking at some of the problems that you've solved in the past or you're currently solving and thinking ah this is a great fit for something like a function as a service yeah i mean like i said um for the personal side of things the whole login i've i've been thinking based on say uh, a cms sort of application that the idea of posting content or reading content or you know all, all that essentially could all be just small lambdas really and then you don't need any that would be a great design that would be really interesting because i mean how do you deal with session management like handling so obviously you know you log in so you logged in yep. and then you've created a session and i guess is that shared then through things like DynamoDB and cassandra and things like that that allow you to persist those sessions so you can then you yes. pick them up again yep. in other lambdas yeah essentially you have to yeah you'd rely on a DynamoDB type of scenario um where you'd save your session in dynamo uh which is is not a bad solution mm. um and then obviously pass that to the, well read from that for the next lambda that sort of thing again as you said it's not really it's not really stateful as such um, well you're, you're relying on on like you say the data like we typically do or in a typical web application you rely on server uh you're sorry you rely on like session kind of abstractions yes. which deal with files or they store them in databases somewhere where you've got persistence so the dynamo db or the cassandra instance or the even just the rds instance or just a normal yeah. database instance will be the persistence but you can use these functions and you know get back to that so that, that's a really i'd be really intrigued to see how you get on with that like kind of designing an yeah. application just through i mean interesting when you mentioned the david getter one like kind of bringing in like how would you design a cms just through functions as services and mm. how you could scale them and things what, what what is the like i know you said that there's three there's like you know it hit there's a three threshold but like the pricing yes. wise how have you fi- found that you don't have to go into figures obviously but like is it good value for money I couldn't tell you the figures as such, like you say, but it is uh, definitely cheaper than servers, and it has been cheaper than the servers. It saved us a lot of money. A lot of headaches, a lot of setup and things yeah, like we, that. We were creating, obviously, just little micro servers, but still, Lambda's cheaper. And if it, if it, you know, it serves the purpose for what we need with the SQS queues. Because originally, we started off, it's worth mentioning, with that whole SQS scraping scenario, uh, we started off with queues and servers and we were quite new to lambda and we actually just tried it out uh my boss isn't a big fan of uh shiny toys all the time because they, In case they, they break yes. <laughs> yeah. so shiny toys are nice but they need to have purpose so we had to prove to him that it was it was um useful and i'm i'm pretty sure we converted him because we are using Lambda a lot more for, um, well, we, we hope to be using it a lot more in the future. But for, for that scenario with the scraping, it's perfect. Yeah, I mean, that, that it really does break up into a function as a service like architecture really well, doesn't it? The thing is, when I went to the Amazon Summit, um, they were saying that not a lot of people are using it in this pipeline kind of way. That's what they intended. That's what they intended. But everyone's just using it for... So the little breakaway functions, which don't really tie into 
Yeah, and instead of chaining them together, it is just a one and done. Like, oh, we can get that done. Just like image resize. Just resize that image and it's yes. done. Like not chaining them together. It may be an image resize. Then you have to add a caption. So you have another yes. Lambda for that and all these different, yeah, these different things. Yeah, I think the the best thing about Lambdas is making them work together, really. Mm. Um, you know, based on cues and such, and and you tie them together based on so like event requests, like HTTP requests to the lambda or um you yes. queue requests. So yeah, so that there's a certain amount of inputs that you can provide it. Yeah, I mean, uh, also you can, and this is an interesting one. You can trigger a lambda based on a say an upload to S3. S3 is supported as an input as well. Mm. So there's a lot of hooks into it. I mean, for moving from lambdas and from queuing and things in your current work, what, what do you currently do with AWS as well? Like, what what are the other services that AWS provides that you use? There is there is quite a few, and I'll, I'll try and mention uh, as many as I can. Uh, but obviously, EC2, uh, the standard servers, uh, ECS, which is obviously um, we only use it for a database replication. But based on the talks I had, I really want to find a good purpose for it in the company, but at the moment, nothing as such. Uh, RDS databases, um, those are, we don't have MySQL um, set up on servers. We have it, uh, it's all RDS, and that works for us uh, very well. Uh, DynamoDB, which is brilliant. Um, That's a key value store, isn't it? Yeah, it's a key value store, and um, it replicates quite well across regions. And um, for our purposes, it's working really well. Uh, we also use Route 53, which is um, again to do with root, is to do well, it's to do with routing. It's to do routing um, and setting up your C names, A names, that sort of thing. Obviously, you've got CloudWatch for monitoring. As you can see, there is quite a few CloudFront. I'm guessing for CDN. Yep, we use Cloud. Yep, CloudFront Lambda, obviously, uh, which again I love. Um, and I'm trying to think. If there's anything more? But so it is the whole. <laughs> it is, there is a lot, isn't there? So is your whole stack essentially in AWS? It is AWS everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We rely on. You could say we rely on Amazon, but I don't think that's a bad thing because I think the quality of the services are very high. Their ethos is also very good. I mentioned the keynote that mm. the um, the chief of technology. I think he was a chief anyway. Uh, he was mentioning that. The best thing about Amazon is that it's you essentially you don't you only pay for what you want. You, yeah, you pay for what you use. And, you pay for yeah. what you use. So you've got brilliant services. Some people are using it as a full solution. Some people are using it as a hybrid solution. Mm. It's serverless. There's um, you know, standard microservices. There's full blown services. I mean, there's loads of different scenarios, different types of ways you can use Amazon. But you do pay for uh, what you use which is great. And there's tools like Code Deploy. That's it, another one. Yeah, Code Deploy, which we don't use in the moment, but it's a service for deploying your uh, application uh, via an archive to uh, your servers. And it can run before deployment scripts and after deployment scripts. And, for example, it can run Puppet if it wanted to, or it could set up where your application YAML is going to go. Uh, it could do all these type of things, but yeah, that's a free service. You don't you don't pay for that. You pay for the resources. And so, so that that is does that take away because like, you use things like Fabric and things like that? Are those are those is that is that like co-deploy taking away the need for something like Fabric, which orchestrates the deployment process? Yes, yeah, I'd say so. Um, and the thing about things like 
and also code commit I should mention as well. Um, so one thing that was really cool was seeing use cases for code pipeline. Uh, essentially, they want the they want to give power back to the developers. So obviously, you've got say your traditional team might have testers. Um, but yeah, essentially, what they what a lot of companies are doing is one click deployments. That is the dream, isn't it? The, the dream is that you've got a build that's passing. You click once and it instantly goes. Or oh, actually, no, sorry, don't even build. It passes, it instantly goes in. Once it's been committed to exactly. master, it's yeah. continuous delivery, it's done. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the brilliant thing is, so co-commit, I'm, I'm not trying to advertise Amazon here for everyone, but it is good. But, um, but co-commit is interesting because essentially it's, it's a service that ties into your GitHub, but also they have their own Amazon art kind of trying to take over the world yeah they got their own version control they got their own version yeah now they haven't got their they, they, is it just git and svn like, is their own hosted just version control hosting um i'm not i'm not too sure but the way they suggested it, it was their own version control um, wow they really are trying to take over the world but yeah so this is so this was a code pipeline that i saw a lot which was you essentially as a developer you go okay right i'm going to commit my code Mm-hmm. I'm going to push it now. Instead of waiting for ages for your, your, you know, your testers and whatever to go through it, and maybe you have a separate deployment team, although that would be a bit odd. But I think one company did have that, which was a bit strange. Um, it happens when you get sufficiently large. I'm sure, and it goes through all these hoops you have to go through just to get a release out. Exactly. But the, the brilliant thing about this was essentially you pushed, you pushed it in GitHub. That then sent the obviously uploaded the code and then I sent a signal to fire off a Jenkins job. Jenkins then runs your build, your smoke tests, all of that, and then it will go to code deploy, which will then deploy that for you. And it will and that will then use the like fabric style script, you know, post pre post scripts that you want to do to set up and yes. orchestrate a build. So and I think that ties in quite well then to would that I mean that would that uh, do a similar thing? So that would be like the functions of services. Like would that deal with lambdas, or is this only for something like EC2? Um, it's mainly well, it's for EC2, but it's also for ECS, so the Docker containers, the Docker stuff. Yeah, because the the thing that uh, another thing I'd really like to talk to you about, and um, it's one thing that comes up a lot. I'm, I'm currently reading Building Microservices, the Sam Newman book. Really, okay. really interesting book. Um, and one thing that comes up is the immutable server. Uh, and I know that you yes. were, were speaking about with you, you know, you, you say you, you highly regard that. And it's one thing that you've been able to really take advantage of because of the fact that essentially your platform is so cheap to you. You know, like you, you can set up <laughs> and tear down as quick as you want. I just wondered, would you mind explaining what the immutable server is and, and how you use it? Yeah, sure. Um, okay, well, I guess this will I also have to introduce another service we use, which is CloudFormation. So cloud- <laughs> oh, that, all these services. I'll put links <laughs> into the show notes of every service that we've discussed today. Don't you worry, there's audience. Quite, quite a few. Yeah, so CloudFormation can set up whole stacks for you um, and nested stacks inside of stacks, inside of stacks, Inception. Um, Recurse. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it can, it can really set up your whole environment, your whole stack, everything. All your servers, your load balancers, elastic load balancer, and that's another service. Uh, yeah, essentially, we have a CloudFormation script which sets up a uh, load balancer, the nodes, and such. Uh, but we have uh, autoscaling groups which works with that immutable uh, server sense, in which it will, on a deployment, it will essentially based on whether it passes a certain test it so it will deploy to one node and then it will go okay this is successful the old node will be terminated and taken out of the load balancing group 
and essentially it'll do that to for for all servers in the load balancer. So these servers are just uh, torn down. So you never so you never actually replace a server like in place you know code on a server essentially what you're doing is you spin up a brand new server and it will only last that one that that it's its life is essentially what it's you know brought up with set up with and then that's it it's never changed internally and then once it's gone out of you know use it's just torn down and then we start up a brand new one And, and that's where the immutable server concept comes from and it's a really really awesome idea because you know essentially you're just getting out the box every time a brand new fresh install um because over time obviously these boxes can become you know they get tweaked or they get changed and that's it maintenance and things like that so spinning up you know just a brand new and i think that's where these you know platforms platform as a service becomes such a powerful thing because it just becomes second nature to do that it's actually probably easier to have an immutable server architecture than actually doing i mean especially when you talk about like these things with you know a cloud formation and things and i'm interested to see like so with these kind of concepts of like load balancers and things like that, so the, the way you design these platforms and you design your your applications, like are, yeah. are you are you going with a microservice kind of philosophy? Have you kind of brought that in, or are you just trying to have you kind of touched dabbled upon that kind of idea? Uh, well, we're, well, we're trying, we're trying, um, but I can say that the whole microservice concept is actually there's quite a few principles that maybe we don't fully adhere to. And there is quite a lot to it. And Autonomous deploys is probably the one. <laughs> <laughs> Even uh, Amazon was saying how they went from a, a monolith um, application stack to then going to, I think they called it fragmented servers. Okay. Or something like that. Little servers which did, you know, you know, single responsibility, that sort of thing. But it wasn't quite, they weren't quite independent until the point when it came to microservices where they were working independent of each other and obviously you could take down one application or replace one uh, application um in in place essentially um but yeah microservices is a and i'd say pretty much every talk i went to uh, with the amazon one was about microservices um but yeah lots of it is a buzzword unfortunately it, it will because it has become a buzzword because obviously it's the whole the hip new fresh thing to talk about or to at least tag along any concept that you want to tag you know make cool say it's something to do with microservices and it, you know people were here and listen um but yeah no i mean the, the actual fundamentals about of microservices and the microservices design is absolutely great is you know it, it, i can't yeah, you know I, I think it's great and it, it, it you know all these platforms are catering towards that kind of move um you know to that you know that that end goal of being autonomous and you know single to put you know deployments are you know in isolation and you can deploy yes. certain you know services in isolation from other services and you can scale them out and you don't care about and you have good contracts and yeah it, it's a great great idea and they they scale they scale uh, at an individual level as well as together. So one of your services um, can scale, you know, dependent uh, independent of another service, which may not need to scale. And then it can be run by different teams. You can have different rates of change, and it and exactly. yeah, different deployment change, and yeah, it, it is a really awesome idea. 
like to be able to do and it's interesting you say like with services like microservices being a lot of you know a lot of talk around that and with um like cloud formation and things i suppose like when when you're actually sorry when you're actually at the talks and things what, yeah. what were the other things that microservice was coming up in like what were people talking about is, is there a lot of talk around the different services that amazon provide that can help cater towards microservice yeah. architecture yeah primarily it was obviously it was suggesting how ECS in particular, Docker, uh, the Docker containers again. Uh, it was mainly about how that could be used as a way of microservices. So obviously, brilliant thing with Docker is that it separates environment. So the environment is purely contained. And then, you know, th- this application doing, you know, its own thing. And it can be scaled based on all those scaling groups. And then you have another application, which is also a Docker container and can be scaled. Uh, that can talk to that. And then... Um, Essentially, it's a bit. It's a bit like with APIs. Uh, so with APIs, they should be really small. APIs should be small. They should be focused. You shouldn't couple UI really with API, which some people uh, do, and we I've, have been guilty of that as well. So that's why I say we can't be fully microservice yet, because I. So I think, and I'm pretty sure this was emphasised a lot. Uh, the idea essentially is that your your front end is a completely separate application to your to your back end, and it's such it's a completely different yeah. responsibility. And and your back end will be used by many other things than your front end. Exactly, and I think the one thing we've been guilty of at the moment is we we use Spring, and Spring's Spring's great; it's really good. Um, but what we've done is we've coupled a little bit of the UI, yeah, view elements with with well. So you've got controllers, and obviously controllers, and free marker, and but yeah, you you can obviously. You could do th- things like that where you render the view based on context and yeah, things good, like that. Yeah, good template engines and things, and it's very enticing to exactly. And to you, you do you do your work in your controller and you send it down to the view. Okay, that's okay. But I I purely think that microservices and I think things like Angular JS really help with this. And there's probably other frame- there's many other frameworks as well. But the idea that you can do an AJAX call to the a- to an API and, and get the response, but that's you know that API is um, you know, it's got a single responsibility. So, for example, uh, your login, you may have an authentication API. Your CMS, you may have some sort of CRUD API. Um, yeah, like, yeah, to deal with handling different aspects, posts, categories, and things like that. And exactly, I think the, uh, one of the interesting things, actually, um, and get it was t- spoke about in the book, the Building Microservices book, is that you know that these architectures you know it, as you say it's very int- it's very uh, tempting to meld and it's always been very tempting to meld view with logic yes. you know because it's you know one of those things it's like well you know i want to display this um but you know you you can't get around the fact that you will have to display elements and some things will have yes. to be displayed together and things and and it comes to like performance and things and stuff like that where okay well i'm bringing down like all these different apis and I'm, instead of calling one you know one monolith that had say a call like just yeah one monolith with one request and it would return me a page but actually if you look at this page it comprises of many different parts that now i've broken up into microservices they are like now it now turns into seven calls so you know to get all these different bits i need to aggregate seven calls and then eventually i'll get my view layer uh you know what you can do is you can bring that down to the you know to the user so they would have to then go call these seven apis but you can actually alternatively you could actually include you have your view layer but you have maybe a microservice view layer that is responsible is is the responsibility of the owner of the view itself that is able to aggregate and you know these seven calls so you don't have to do seven calls for that individual view 
at the, at the client side so you can yep. do these things where you create services that only are, you know ag- aggregation services essentially to help you cater towards these things and that was one thing actually with performance you know i was thinking all oh, right that yeah that makes sense now and and how you deal with these because you do get you know network calls aren't cheap and how do you get around the fact that okay it's fine that i'm breaking these things up but now you know I know that we, we, you know, we shouldn't worry too much. It, only when it becomes a problem should we worry about time of things and how quick things are. Better that it's right than it is quick, than it's wrong, uh, and it's wrong, you know. So, but I do feel that, you know, these things do, you know, with microservices and with the networking and things like that, like, you know, it will get slower. But having these optimizations that allow you to say, all right, well, you can design things in such a way that you can have these aggregation services that will be handled yes. and they can be, you know, owned by the view layer. Or the, the responsibility is of the, whoever has the view layer, they can have their own microservices. And spinning up another AWS EC2 instance or a container is so cheap that it's fine to have that. And it's a, a good way of designing and architecting a solution. Yeah, and also, obviously, with the API calls, if you're requesting data, which obviously is a very, sim- it's a very simple concept, but obviously if you're requesting data, that is not really going to change very often. And obviously you can use a cache. That's it, yeah, and, and the caching mechanisms in HTTP, um, you know, are great. So having that as a mechanism, as a protocol to use, you can you deal with the caching. I think people take for granted how good the caching layer of HTTP is, and how you can actually use it just in your day to day life. Yeah. W- with these services that you make. Yeah, you got you got that and backend caches, obviously, like yeah. EH cache. And, yeah, absolutely, and that, and that sort of thing, really. Which uh, Amazon does have another service for. There you go. I think I think we we have now Amazoned out, and I, I really appreciate all your talking about you know the different Amazon stuff and everything. It's it's really interesting to kind of get an insight into what actually happens and what's going on. But I mean, there's a couple of other things that I'd like to touch upon. Uh, you know, really serious stuff that we need to touch upon. Firstly, uh, Xubuntu's extensive screensavers. You've been mentioning these. What the hell? Go and explain. What? How many? And what are they then? Okay, first of all, explain. I. Last week, I was working on Ubuntu, Unity. Uh, unfortunately, my colleague knocked out my power cable, and now for some reason, I can't actually log into Ubuntu anymore. That which... is a sad, sad thing. So it must have been <laughs> the worst timing ever for it to somehow corrupt something like that. Yeah, um, it was very annoying. But then I, and unfortunately, I couldn't use Name either, which was also equally annoying. So then I went for XFCE, which was very old-fashioned. I like pretty things sometimes, you know. And uh, you, I mean, you do get, yeah, you get sport with things like Unity and like Gnome 3 is definitely quite pretty. Unfortunately, yeah, I can't use that one. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I found that XSE and maybe Zamunti is a bit like this as well. So it looks a bit 90s really in its styling. But I will tell you about their crazy and exciting screensavers. <laughs> so so whilst I, uh, obviously, I mentioned I do pair programming at, at work which requires me to work at someone else's station. And um, I was, I think the first time I was, I was working on my, um, on my colleague's uh, workstation and he was like, whoa, what's your screen doing? And it, it was sort of doing sort of 1960s psychedelia type of <laughs> colors and things going on, which I thought was interesting. But then, then I noticed that by me, there's actually quite a few screensavers. There was one that built a 3D landscape, like rendered it, which was what, really? A random 3D landscape each time. Yeah, that's so cool. It was pretty cool, and there was one which is a bit Tron style with the outlining. Can't By the go way, wrong there. Tron. Can't go wrong there. Tron, one of the best movies. And yeah, so I had that, and then today 
Matrix. Matrix. It was, it was very cool. So was... are these random screensavers that occur then? Like you've set it so it's I random. I have not set them. I have not set them. Let's put it that way. They have just turned up. That's great. That's like a little present. That is a dead yeah. environment with a nice little present of good screensavers. Bring back the good screensavers. I remember the old school 95 screensavers where you could write your own name and things on them. And oh, it would have like the maze one and the tube one. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. I, I miss good screensavers. <laughs> I'm so boring now. I just make like I, I typically crank it up so my screen stay on for as long as possible, and then it will just like turn off the screen. So I never actually enjoy a good screensaver. Maybe I'm missing out now. Maybe I'm missing out. Well, I mean, I didn't sell it, but I'm. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will say something for Zubuntu, which I'm not overly happy with at the moment. Is that I can't use my IntelliJ shortcuts. A bit disappointing. So, what's your what's your current like development environment? Then is it is full on IntelliJ? Yes, gone are the days of Eclipse and NetBeans. Yes, it's all about IntelliJ. That IntelliJ is what Java programmers are using at the moment. Then, yes, yes. I mean, we're all using it, and yeah, it's brilliant. Um, obviously, you've got your. I, I for example, I use um, for testing JUnit and such like that. I have code templates which are pretty cool. Uh, so I just type in. I think it's test P, and that will create me a, a test, uh, what I call a positive test. So it'll be test something success. And then that's something I can type in, and then it will generate the template for me, which is pretty cool. That's I really nice like that. nice little helpers. You can't go wrong with those. That's great. It makes it development so much easier. I, I, I find that with PHP Storm uh, from JetBrains, that the refactoring tools are just invaluable. You know, like you can just do oh. it easily. You know, like, oh, I want to inline that. Actually, no, I want to extract that to a variable. Oh, no, actually, yeah, can you push exactly. that out? Yeah. It's, it just it makes things so much quicker, especially when you're going through like the, the REPL the loop, you know, of actually building. But also yeah. when you're doing red-green refactor, you know, when you're doing TDD, like, yes. you're able to easily uh, and quickly oh, be able yeah. to break things up. And yeah, just, just to save so much time, so much boilerplate gets removed at, or not. I mean, it obviously has to be included, but you don't have to think about it. So yeah, absolutely agree that these tools, like a good IDE. I used to be very much, no, I want a plain text editor and that's <laughs> it. But yeah, the, the value. And, and, and also, I mean, I've started um, doing a lot more things with Xdebug um, and that allows me okay. to like, do breakpoints and things like that. So doing you know, cool. true you know, development of a you know, debug development as opposed to just var dump, console logging things out. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and again, it works perfectly with that, being able to listen up into a, you know, a PHP interpreter and then able to then listen and yeah. actually you know, view the current state of uh, an actual request so no i really really value it yeah i mean uh, this is quite crazy but uh, before like when we was at university and when we and when i started at this company i did not use any debugging tools i was doing like you said system outs and and console i mean i've been doing that for years and and you know what i i I still i don't knock it i still think it's you know it's a good way of working out chains but yeah there is there is actually a lot more value in being able to do step through on a good debugger um, and actually be able to see real code paths. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, there's been many points where I've racked my head about why why is this test not working? Why why am I not getting the value I want? Or why is my mocking not working? And obviously I can step through the code and I can see every value That's or it. every parameter or every you know, every input and see exactly what the outputs are so then I can see what's gone wrong. That's it. And it's even better when it's in the IDE and nicely, cleanly, you know, done oh, exactly. so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, the refactoring tools are brilliant in IntelliJ. It's so good. Uh, so uh, other than that, I mean, another thing I would like to talk about, Pokemon. Are you playing it? <laughs> yes, I am. I am playing Pokemon Go, um, as is the whole world, I think. Well, we, the- oh, but we are of the generation now that actually loved Pokemon when we were in primary school. 
where it's really strange seeing people from different generations who don't know Pokemon. Like, you know, people <laughs> who, like a couple of my friends, they, you know, they, they play it, but they don't have a clue. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a Gyarados. And I'm like, how do you know that? I'm like, well, I know it because my, like, 10-year-old self just are you know obsessed over the, the you know the 150 exactly. pokemon and no knew them off by heart so it is amazing i mean and it's a great idea like they have really cashed in on that i think it's an amazing concept yeah, brilliant um, concept. and you and, know the yeah. fact that they do you know they tie people in with the fact of yeah you just play it for free and then you can start playing it and then boom you can you know do you know pay to play you know pay to buy new things pokeballs and all yep. that type of thing and it's making the real world a game it's almost like a la- layer on top of the real world which is just unbelievable you know that you're walking down the street and you're uh-huh. in two dimensions you're in real world and you're also in this pokemon world yeah it's brilliant and it was all based on a on a previous game as well but you know this game you know so all the landmarks or sorry pokestops all the pokestops are actually based on the landmarks from this previous game hence why there's so many pubs which are pokestops which is not a bad it's helping out business that's for sure but yeah the thing with this pokemon thing ingress ingress that's the one it's getting it's getting people out there there is a level of fitness coming from it. There's certainly a level of geekiness. And there's a true. level of there, there, the level of story, good storytelling now because oh, of how many crazy stories many. people yeah that have happened. You know, people got robbed, people have found dead bodies, people have it's just crazy. Oh, crimes, people have solved crimes. Yeah, going mental, absolutely mental. The world we live in. Uh, yeah, it's in, insane, and I mean, it's crazy. I've I'm actually in a WhatsApp group called Pokemon uh, with about. <laughs> 20 other grown individuals really that's um, genius oh man that's awesome and yeah constantly discussing what we've got and what we haven't got to be fair i was quite upset i did hatch a 10k egg today but it was only an ev but oh well i won't cry about it too much so you had bad travel today and that i got bloody bloody ev oh if it was a flareon or a vaporon i would have been all right but you know Obviously not. And and about a month ago, if you'd told told me this, I would be thinking, why? What the hell are you playing? Like Pokemon Red? What, what's this going on about, man? Like you know. <laughs> uh, but thanks again, man. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been great no to problem. discuss all the things. But we'll have to get you on sooner than uh, than last time because an a year is way too long. Yes, my bad. Sorry about that. Well, yeah, it's me too. I need to pest you more. You know, I need to be more annoying, more like, you know, you need to get on. Yeah, come on. Get on, Jay. You want to? Well, then I need you to help me pester me for my personal projects. And yeah, business. well, there you go. I'll do that. Who needs Jira when you've got Ed? Let's put it that way. <laughs> you don't need Jira. Oh, man. And on that, audience, uh, it's been another great episode, and uh, we'll speak to you again next week. Goodbye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe. <laughs>